welcome to the Tales of the Cold North. Our recap of our adventures in our Dungeons and Dragons campaign featuring members of the Wisco Dice Tabletop Gaming Podcast. Welcome to the Tales of the Cold North. I am your host, the Cones of the Most, also your Game Master GM and DM for this session. Let's turn it over to our handy-dandy players, and let's see who's all with us today. Hey everybody, this is Justin. I play the Half-Orc Paladin, Koth. This is Jason, new-ish to the podcast, I guess, and uh, I play Lindell, the Swashbuckling Rogue. Brian, also known as Stark Raving Mad, is here. Uh, my character is Deacon, a half-elf sorcerer. There we go. <laughs> Helps if you know what you're playing. The other characters of note our campaign, we have six of them. Uh, we have Swifty, the epic, joking human wizard. We have Rika, the ever-plant-loving halfling druid. And Yanros, the mysterious human monk. This is episode three of the Tales of the Cold North, our D&D podcast. Today is November 10th, and in this episode, we're going to walk through all of the fun we had as a group, uh, working through our session number five. So if you remember from the previous episode, we left off on a big, ra- big wrap-up point in the game. The players have been hunting Sephic this serial killer for quite some time he's been defeated it was actually Lindell's uh handy bow work that managed to land the killing blow the aurora in the sky is lighting up the sky it's very late it's about midnight 1 a.m roughly at this point the player the players are exhausted they've been through one heck of a fight as they're walking back to the inn where they're staying Rika happens to notice some footprints just appearing in the snow out of nowhere. There's nothing actually making these footprints. There's no sight of what's creating them. And that's where I'm going to turn it over to you guys, the players. What in the world did you guys do? What What's happening? What's going on in this game? So we notice these footprints, start following them. True to his name, Swifty takes swift action and immediately cast web on the closest location to wherever this thing is the web hits the side of a building and we can't really tell whether or not this invisible thing is captured or not um so at first the party is a little apprehensive about like attacking this thing directly so far it's just walked by us so he casts web and snares the thing we kind of take up battle positions and a couple of us, I think maybe Lindell, uh, try to engage in and ask some questions like, like, what are you doing? What are your intentions? Things like that. I, I don't think it ever spoke to us before mm-hmm. anybody had ever attacked it. It's caught in the web for a couple rounds as we kind of position ourselves. I think it was Deacon who actually kind of pulled the first attack on the thing and shot maybe a firebolt, which uh, also caught the web on fire and started to burn 
What's Swifty that? being Swift again. <laughs> like, Swifty did it again? Oh, yeah. what he's so he's like, a reckless wizard. <laughs> yeah, it was so crazy. Like the whole time I was just like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, what are we doing? Like, how dare this person walk through this town invisible? And we just, or at least someone yeah. going nuts ready to like whatever murder, whatever it may be. Like we didn't even know. And like the web was reasonable, but then it's like throwing the firebolt and it starts the web on fire it's like whoa, whoa, whoa. but <laughs> luckily that kind of worked out okay it kind of moved things along in the combat yeah the 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 fire kind of did some damage and eventually revealed that the creature caught in the web was a uh, durger ben you can correct my pronunciation on this one at any point or a dark dwarf which not just a, a Durger, but a like nine foot tall dwarf, which later we realized probably was using some kind of potion or magic, you know, to be that big. Yeah, it shrunk down after we killed it. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. We 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 got some some potions out of it. That's right. Had a quick combat. I think Eonros took a hit or two, but with all of us there, it really didn't take too long to to take him out. It brought up the question, you know, I think it was Swifty who who was able to identify what type of yep. race of being it was, and uh, the Durger, these dark dwarves, one of the inhabitants of the Underdark, generally they are evil, and so just brought more questions as to what this thing was doing sneaking around town. Koth did feel, though, murdered. that we found out that it was evil. So. <laughs> yeah. It was okay. Like we still didn't have more of the plot. It was just this one random burger that we killed for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, we did know that it was headed towards the town hall. Uh that was the directions its its footsteps were going. And uh and Koth did feel it was important to bring the body of, of the Durger to the town hall to at least let the authorities know about it due to his sense of honor, I suppose. I don't think the whole party was in on that originally either. Like, I think Swifty no. was pretty swift to kill it and be like, all right, let's go home. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody, a few people didn't really want to report it or anything. It was just like, why? <laughs> so, yeah, I don't I think Linda was in favor of that. <laughs> uh, I, thought, I thought that I was. I thought I was, I mean, it was an evil thing that we killed. Okay. Yeah, I think I, yeah, maybe I'm it made it better for I, most of the party. I think I wanted to get a reward for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's, that's yeah. probably what it was. That's, that sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we ended up dragging the thing, the body of, of the Jagger, to the town hall. And when we arrived, uh, we noticed that the the main door to the town hall was open, right? And so that kind of put us on alert that something might be going on. It seemed a little suspicious. We kind of took up positions to listen in uh, through the windows and see what was going on. We eventually hear the sound of some something being smashed to pieces uh, from inside the town hall and uh, decide to stealthily move our way in and see what's going on. I think as we were going in to that main entrance, I don't know, 
somebody probably Koth might have failed a, a stealth check at some point because as we got to to the door where the crash sound came from, the door had been barred uh, from behind. So uh, either they heard us coming or were just prepared to kind of keep people out. We, uh, I think, Lindell was the first one to to do a, another jump kick and try to kick down the door to get into that room. Is that right? I think you. Yeah. I've, well, we heard them on the other side of that uh-huh. door. Like, I think it was, yeah, when we were walking in or right outside the door, like we heard somebody yell, like smash it open or something like that. Yeah. 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 And, and then we heard the smashing sound and kind of went in and yeah, we heard them on the other side of that door and yeah, I just backed up and wound up and ran and jump kicked it. And I think I had a, I think Lindell had a really good role on the, um, the acrobatics check for that. But yeah, it barely budged the door because I think he actually like broke the door, but I think it was the barring was too much for the habit to overcome. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 The, you did actually damage the door, but then they had barred it with a chair or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then didn't cough, like, didn't you bust through it then after yep. that? Then yeah. I just shouldered down the door to break through the rest of the way. So I do want to kind of point out here, like, here is this. This is the second time. This is what are, what are you, what, 50 pounds soaking wet? <laughs> Lindell? Dude, I don't know about that. I mean, maybe, well, you're not, maybe, you're yeah, not maybe. heavy. Yeah, you might be. <laughs> this right. is this is twice this little halfling who's got, you know, probably got thieves' tools and could <laughs> do a thieves' tool jack to open the lock or try to try to dis- disable the device. Instead, it selects the loudest, most swashbuckler thing to do. I'm going to go flying through the door. <laughs> oh, wait. One of these times, it's going to work, dude. It's going to work, and it's yes, going to be I'm hilarious. I'm 38 pounds. <laughs> his, his feet are his thieves' tools. He knows just <laughs> where to kick the door to get it to unlock. I want to do catch it just him right. with the element of surprise, you know? That's... Yeah. And plus, that also kind of, like, dug my heels in a little bit on, like, a character trait for him. Just, you know, a little bit kind of... <laughs> Just, I was just being a little bit chaotic. A <laughs> <laughs> little, little impetuous, yeah, I, I can see it. So we, we break down the door to this other room, and inside there are three Jurger warriors and five, another five one. Yeah, I think there was five of them, actually. Yep. Five. So the, is that counting the cloaked, assumed-to-be yes. wizard one? Yeah. So four, yep. So four warriors, and then a fifth Durger in robes at the top of a staircase in this room. And in the center of the room, there is a pile of smashed black rock of some kind or crystal. And and yeah, and that, and that next combat began at that point. Busted right in. Yeah, and that, I mean, honestly, that combat was, that felt pretty easy. Like, we we handled that pretty well. I don't even know if any of us took any damage from that it wasn't much if any of us was damaged yeah but uh yeah during the combat the robed one the the obvious magic user took off and ran toward a door 
as I, as Lindell was trying to go after them, I think, and mm -hmm. they end up shrinking to like an inch tall and get yeah. under the crack in the door and escape. And Lindell tried to give chase, but the door was locked. But yeah, we handled the other four pretty easily and did non-lethal damage to the last one that was standing to try and uh, interrogate them potentially. Yeah, so we, we, we see this smash stuff in the middle of the room. Koth goes and starts to interrogate this one <laughs> and is not very intimidating, apparently, because you don't really get anything out of them other no. than that you're not as intimidating or scary as Zardarok. All right. Which is the, the first mention of, of that name we've heard during this entire adventure. So I can't remember. Did did we knock him back out? Or <laughs> yeah, yeah, when Koth wasn't getting any information, uh, I think I just decided to hit him at one point to kind of drive the point home. But I drove it home a little too hard. I yeah, yeah, knocked him back out. And yeah, we searched these guys. We found some gold. We found a few sacks of this black crystal stuff. Before we could do much else, uh, a one of the guards came back. Uh, I can't remember if it was one of the ones that helped us fend off Sephic or not. But, you know, they explained that this, they were kind of uh, a little bit heartbroken because this statue was this lucky mast uh, from a ship that had caught a big fish, like kind of like part of the lore of the town. Big uh, Nush. I believe was the name of that fish. Yeah. Yep. Caught by, <laughs> uh, uh, from the ship, the, the blood father. Yeah. But the fishermen went nuts and got locked up and eventually just passed away in, in prison. Uh, but they, they explained to us that the statue looked like a demon. And that was our yeah. kind of, our first kind of hunch that I think we mentioned among us was like, Oh, could that have been uh, a likeness of Zardarok potentially just guessing. Yeah. So the uh, the guard went and he locked the guy up in the prison down in the basement of the town hall um, in one of the cells uh, and asked us to find the one that got away. Now, this is like super late at night. This is probably like 2 or 3 a.m. I don't remember exactly what time the Aurora starts and ends, but like I think it ended while we were out there looking for yeah. this thing and follow yeah because it got dark yep and we were following this trail kind of followed to the edge of the town and we see it go like south southwest of east haven and we're talking about whether to follow it swifty like sent his owl to go after it a little bit but like couldn't follow it that far um and uh it it seemed that the the d that our dm was leaning hard into uh pushing us to go back and rest and not follow the, <laughs> that thing out of town um <laughs> any further because a storm started to come in and it started snowing so we decided to go back to back to the white lady inn and rest for the night in the the morning we speak with captain in imdra um back at the town hall and they had apparently successfully interrogated this Durgar um somehow and gotten some info from it that uh, Zardarok has a fortress to the south in the spine of the world which 
that's like the mountain range that is between like the the snowy lands that we're at and then basically the rest of everything else to the south um and the spine of the world is super super dangerous there are giants goblin clans hundreds of orcs dragons it's bad um and zardarok is making a dragon somehow um which is interesting not good but what what does that mean he's making a dragon um yeah a a big mystery there i mean so we, we we also found out that this black rock this crystal this black crystal was known as shardolin yep and apparently it'd be used to make dragons pretty crazy i don't know that's well, that's apparently amazing. it's just a really common stone that's like everywhere in the yeah. area too yeah right and normally we also it's knew not that... like snowy everywhere it's just like you yeah know, but it's littering the it's ground everywhere i guess a huge piece was kind of rare or something but it sounded like there was some superstition around like the statue and the stone too of like being like bad luck or something like that too seemed like it cursed that guy that went bonkers yeah mm-hmm yeah, it's prevalent, especially around Bryn Shander, but covered, yeah, covered up by snow. The captain gave us some money for killing the dwarves after Lindell kind of like prodded a little bit. Like, hey, yep. hey, we helped you out. We killed, not only did we kill Sefik, but, you know, we and rid your town of him, but we, we also killed these evil dwarves that were sneaking around and breaking into your town hall and vandalizing stuff. And, they had cleaned up the broken statue when we were there in the morning. They had stored it below the town hall, but they gave us a little bit to take with us when we asked, just like so we could get help getting it identified later. So I noted that Swifty did cast detect magic on it, and that stone was not magic. Hmm. So no magic powers in it. We, everybody seemed super apprehensive earlier in the adventure to like even touch it. Especially Swifty kept saying, like, I recommend you don't touch this. Like you don't know what it is and like and then like it turns out it it seems like there's nothing wrong with it i think he whiffed an arcana check Uh um, or didn't roll really strongly on it so behind the screen you know gave him some information (laughs) yeah how right or wrong that information is who knows sure (laughs) but yeah imdra didn't know anything about the stone. We actually found out it was Shardlin like later and just kind of said, Hey, maybe a blacksmith in Bryn Shander uh, would know what this is, which was convenient for us because we had to go back to Bryn Shander to collect our reward for our other reward for killing Suffolk. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That was kind of a loose end. We needed to wrap up at that point. So I think we did like, take a rest or whatever and then kind of or maybe i guess when we talked to indra it was already the next day never mind tone but then yeah we headed to Bryn shander and i think you know we got there a little later or whatever but we were still able to track down Hilm, the old dwarf lady who had set us out on finding the killer which we determined to be suffolk which was a suspicion and uh we kind of told her what happened and kind of the weirdness of like and being a zombie basically <laughs> possessed her ever and i guess she was going to kind of help us out and see if she could find something more out about him and kind of his weird death that was going to take a little bit for her to investigate it so we kind of have an agreement we we're going to meet her back there in a 10 day which i guess is like the week time frame in that calendar 
I guess we did collect our money from her for whatever the job. I think Wendell okay, tried yeah. to haggle a bit more, and she reminded him that he already haggled, <laughs> like when we made the deal. <laughs> yeah. I would say there was an important point here, uh, right when you walked into the North Look, which is the inn in uh, Bryn Shander, that uh, I, at least I felt was important, and that's the waitress Molly indicates not only has she been training and, and working on her martial skills since given the sword, I think Koth gave her a sword after maybe the first session or at the end of the first session or something like that or the start of the second session. But uh, also, as you entered the North Look, and maybe I glossed over this a little too much so you, none of your, it wasn't that relevant, but... You were lauded as the heroes of Goodmead, and the first round was on on the inn for not only you guys but everybody basically at the inn. So you know, extra extra little kudos and reward, even if it's a little mini reward for that mission <laughs> well done. Gotcha. Yeah. No, that that's one of those little flavor details that I think it when we're playing it just adds to the atmosphere. You know. And and just blends into the sort of experience. So yeah, it didn't necessarily stand out, but uh, yeah. The the piece that it's starting to shape up is that your renown is starting to become a thing, right? This whole in in Chander is you know now been told about your good deeds, and you've got relationships with the, the sheriff in East Haven, and. Coth's the speaker of Goodmead, and all of these deeds are starting to come together. It's going to play interesting things as we continue down the road. The way that we tried to help Scython out, uh, the efforts there probably didn't spread too far, or else we may not have been as renowned. <laughs> he he might be running around the town, around running around the ten towns, telling people how bad you are. Yes, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> He's too busy trying to. At the end, he did realize that you guys were actually trying to save his life. <laughs> Should ask him for a reward. <laughs> He's got some clothes he can give you. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, Brian, sorry I interrupted you. Ah, no worries. Thanks for pointing that out. I kind of forgot about it. It wasn't like something I noted in my notes, but. Yeah, kind of a good thing to look out for and be aware of, for sure. So yeah, after meeting back with him, we kind of had like the whole 10-day to kind of figure out what we wanted to do. Kind of one other thing that we had come across previously was back in Good Mead in the kind of cave system we were in when we were searching for the mead. Uh, there was like a tomb and then like another statue that wasn't fully investigated like during that exploration. If you remember, everybody was pretty wasted and um, injured and tired and everything. So just trying to make it out of the cave alive didn't go too nuts trying to mess with any of this mysterious stuff. So with the time we had in our hands, we decided to go back there. It was good for some of us to, like, I think it was Justin and I had actually not been present in that session. So it was kind of cool to personally be there and get to revisit it. Um, So... Back at the cave, kind of went into the tomb area part of the cave first. Um, There's a big, like, kind of relief mural thing going on in there. It was, we figure it was depicting kind of like a tribe 
and best we could infer it was potentially like elven about like a journey from the mountains kind of over the tundra um so that's kind of a mysterious piece there and then there was the big kind of giant casket kind of thing not real ornate it was kind of like a big slab i think it was described as and i don't know was it probably koth that kind of tried to muscle it first i don't remember um or if it was a group of us but i think we tried to you know wrestle a lid off of it or something like that and then all of a sudden like we're zapped all took some damage i guess it was electric electrical damage and then all of a sudden there's like a puzzle with these symbols in front of us or at least we assume it's a puzzle there's kind of like a riddle describing how to organize these symbols another re- really cool thing that ben did up to dm it like you know it just wasn't drawn out he had them printed out and the little chits prepared for us to look at so that was pretty cool for solving the puzzle and <laughs> it was did you, did you notice the timer also hit the table yeah, mm-hmm. the the full glass, hourglass, yep. wooden carved uh, hourglass timer that he slapped down on the table. Uh, yeah, that was really cool to see to like really kind of feel the pressure. You know, yeah. like a good way to kind of really put it there that you know we were under a time crunch mm-hmm. for something to happen. So luckily, like we started off kind of rocky. Like, it was just like, well, crap, there's this puzzle, and, like, all this, you know, trying to get at it, see what the instructions were, like, so I think there was, like, whatever, six or seven symbols or so, and then there was, like, you know, different rules for each one to kind of arrange them, like, you know, these two can't be next to each other, this symbol's left of another, and stuff like that, and, like, some of the symbols were a little confusing too at first like depending on which way you rotated them some kind of looked kind of similar to others and that was confusing and like when we first started trying to solve that it seemed kind of rough like we're all kind of arguing a little bit and then it ended up working out like somehow it all came together where we all worked out and i think we in the end we had a decent amount of time left it wasn't cutting it too close but we kind of you know put our final answer in and it ended up working out that the tomb kind of cracked open and we made it okay. I think Ben kind of let us know behind the scenes that we were going to get like zapped again had we not um, solved it quick enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, there were a couple of behind the scenes things here that I can share. One, I will say that the way this resolved is not the way the module resolves it. Not that I'm going to tell you how the module resolves it, but. Oh because I might reuse that later for something else. But uh, I thought this was... I, this was the first time I was going to throw a, a true puzzle at you guys. Right? We have the we have kind of an investigation scenario going on. Uh, we, you know, kind of mystery scenario. We've had some action, some just general combat, figuring out how to work to get with each other. But this is the first puzzle that I threw at you, and I wanted it to be a little more meaningful than effectively somebody making a couple of dice rolls and then unlocking the sarcophagus. So this was a great way to to grab something I found off of a Reddit thread. And, <laughs> and I tested... So that wasn't in the book? Nope, not in the book at all. Oh, wow. 
Cool. Uh, I thought it was a much more f- enjoyable way for everyone to do it. And this book tends to be a little harsh on giving rewards. The rewards were what's in the book, but it resolves differently, let's just say, in the book. But I did do, because I was doing this outside of the book and the way the book describes it or has it happening, like there's no timer that the book says, there's no anything. The whole thing was my own add to this. I uh, uh, had Suzanne actually, once I found this particular puzzle, I had Suzanne actually sit down and try to do this puzzle on her own and we timed it, and I think she clocked it on her own at about six minutes. I was, I would have, I would have wanted to see if, with all six players at the table, what would have happened if there would have been more arguing and more bickering about about trying yeah. to, yeah. you know, trying to be the people who are the ones in control of of trying to operate the puzzle or trying to, you know, let me see that paper hand it over here or whatever, you know, kind of stuff that would have slowed you down for that second zap. But as it was with four of you, you guys actually uh, put on a lot of your true dungeon solving hats and really cranked it out. I think in just under four minutes. So uh, well done and, and well solved. And uh, well, if somebody had identify, you might know what your loot is. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe somebody will come prepared with that next time, I guess. So, Dan, cracking open the sarcophagus, um, there was just some mummified remains in there. I was trying to remember exactly. I don't have great notes about what it looked like. I know, like, it's one fist was clenched and kind of appeared to be holding something, and then I don't remember if it was holding, like, oh, it had a wand in its other hand, I think, actually. Yeah. So... Again, Swifty was kind of reluctant for anybody touching suspicious items. <laughs> I think he had Mage Hand to kind of grab the wand to himself, and then also in cracking open the mummified hand, it revealed a large pearl. And I don't remember if he did like a detect magic on that or something, but it seems to be magical of unknown reasons, or may or may not be magical, who knows? But um, some interesting loot there. I think I was kind of messing around and kind of goaded Koth into looking under the mummified remains just to make sure there was nothing else in there. And there was <laughs> nothing else in there. <laughs> yeah. So that kind of appeared to be all that was going on in there. So we have some trinkets to figure out what's going on with. That's kind of our first big, unique, assumingly magic loot that we've come across. Yeah, first first magic treasure, probably. Yeah. Yep. Surprisingly, I guess one thing as a party, we weren't too worried about fighting over the loot. I think Swifty kind of took both of them being like the whatever wizard and figuring out magic person. I mean, I figure once we actually determine what that kind of stuff is and like what character it might be most beneficial to, like that character will get how much it's worth to Wendell if somebody has to pay us portion for it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Might just be worth selling and not keeping to use, and then we can all (laughs) split the gold. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, maybe. Uh, So then, investigating the rest of the cave system, the other thing was a statue. It was kind of frozen under some ice and, like, kind of a, whatever, a water flow within the cave system. The statue was, like, pretty big and deep under 
the ice. Well, it wasn't too deep under the ice, but it was like standing upright. So the water underneath was pretty deep is what I'm trying to say, I guess. It was shallow enough that you could see through frozen ice that there was a mm-hmm. statue down there. I think he said its head was a couple feet or a foot or so under the under the solid mm-hmm. ice. Yeah. Yeah, you could see like the top of it pretty clearly, yeah. but any deeper than that was kind of unknown. But yeah, so then we devised a plan. Uh, I think it was caught that was break breaking the ice. I don't remember now. Um, but we kind of tied a rope off just to just in case <laughs> we're to like fall in or something like that. But <laughs> yeah, I think he had uh, busted the ice pretty clear, and then you know we could get to the statue. Like I think Deacon went ahead and kind of touched it. Like nothing happened. Um, we could kind of get a better look at the statue. So it was like a naked elf kind of had hair covering naked bits and then it was also <laughs> had like a bow and arrow and a quiver i think yeah that that's right i guess it was slightly familiar to deacon he had a dream some time ago i guess i don't remember which session it was in it was kind of like just disclosed to deacon and i hadn't mentioned it to any of the other characters yet but in being back and visiting this statue i kind of disclosed to the group that i had seen it before in that kind of dream vision i had wasn't it like in the middle of a forest or something yeah so it was back um i don't remember which town we were in when it happened but you know it was just when we were resting wherever we happened to be for the night um and yeah i kind of like woke up you know a really nice warm kind of forest like somewhere like unfamiliar but like you know it was very different than the old north we've been around and like i had seen this elf kind of out of the corner of my eye just kind of fleetingly and then i think she just kind of went away and then i woke up and was all kind of really warm (laughs) in my bed and then that was kind of that first iteration of it so that was pretty interesting that this statue is kind of the same elf and investigating it some more i think i was able to kind of maybe recall from my uh, memory it's like a lesser elven deity of some kind of i guess it's like of a divination and enchantment i guess divination and enchantment Uh, i think it was abjuration magic the elf that so the statue had um had was magical yeah, and I it think had so. yeah, abjuration yeah. magic on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that or at least that was like what Swifty was able to figure out about the statue, as I recall. I'm with it a bit. I think at one point, like Mage handed the pearl to it or something like that, and nothing really happened. Like I tried to like recall praying in some way <laughs> to the deity, and like nothing happened. So. Kind of busted it out weren't really sure where to go from there and then i guess that was kind of the wrap up to like what we actually did during the session we still have a lot of time before we come back and meet helm after the week so we're all kind of left to do anything that we can come up with that we want to do with our characters i know lindell was talking about maybe making a purchase 
and then I haven't heard any. Well, I guess Justin might have some idea for cough. <laughs> yeah, so I, I I do have to ask uh, uh, Ben about this. I have not broached the idea. I had I had this idea today, but one thing I was thinking is that as a sort of way to make up with Cython, that Koth would offer to invest some into his clothing business uh, <laughs> and offer him like some type of trade contract to deal goods and good meat or something like that and like help his business along or something like that for maybe, you know, a small uh, partnership, you know, stake or something like that. But uh, we'll see. Awesome businessman. <laughs> he's, he's a... You certainly can try. <laughs> So we'll see. That I think was, in that that's one idea I've had. Koth and Deacon, like we weren't actually there for the interaction of that, were we? I think we joined up with the party after all that crazy. <laughs> yeah, that was when you guys see. had stayed behind. Yep. And then you guys were probably on your way back when we did that. But mm -hmm. like I kicked Lindell kicked down the door. Uh, his house again, like, yeah and we disabled all the locks in his house just because he was being kind of a shit and then sorry if, um and we ended up yeah i mean we we chased like well jan rose gave chase to him at, like through the yeah. streets of east haven mm -hmm. and then like i kind of followed as well like a little bit further behind and then like jan rose and scython ended up getting like taken to the town hall by the by yeah. by the guard or whatever and yeah it, it was a whole thing yeah you can you can find <laughs> out more of that on the previous episode of tales of the cold north yeah. mm -hmm. so the the 10 day break that we have i mean part part of that at least was us venturing down to the good meat area to go check out the you know the the cave by good mead to and you know the sarcophagus in there the thing under the ice right like that that was part of it it's probably a day or so of that time okay mm -hmm. so i had also noted that we we want to visit the blacksmith in uh bryn shander to find out more about chardolin and see if they can give us any more info. And I have a note that Ben will discord that info to us. And if you want it like official, I can just include, you know, that trip to the blacksmith in my message to you about my activities. But nope, I owe you guys that. Okay. Yeah, so we'll we'll have to find out next time, I guess, uh what everyone else ended up doing on their on this uh end day that we're waiting to meet back up with Helm interested to see what other characters do or even if they'll share i mean we there uh, there's been some interesting uh, uh secret keeping in the party at some times so maybe people won't share what they do who knows <laughs> we'll see yeah i mean there's there's a lot of interesting things that are are going on and so many plot lines that are starting to get touched on so it's it'll be very interesting to start seeing where you guys start taking it because you you all have and are 
just enough threads of plot lines, I think, now that are starting to blossom that I probably will have to give a little less plot hook to get you get to to have you guys go, well, I want to go to this or I want to do that or we should go do this, investigate these things because that guy sounds fishy or whatever the case might be. So we're getting there. You don't want to yeah. overwhelm us with side quests. Oh, I got side quests for you. I have lots of side quests. <laughs> just when just when you get accept a paying mission where you've got some cash on the line, you'll get two or three side quests thrown right at you. Yeah. This has already happened. I don't know anything <laughs> about that. Hopefully the it's third, enjoyable. First <laughs> I'm having a great time. Yeah, this so the, the mission we got paid for in this session was the first mission that we took on yeah. at the very start of the adventure. <laughs> yeah. Finally, yeah. finally got paid. Five <laughs> sessions. Five yeah. sessions yeah. ago, you finally got a little cash. Yeah, I yeah. I do feel like we're already at level three, and I do feel maybe just a smidge guilty that I haven't given out more cash or or awards. But at the same time, I remind myself that you guys are adventuring in this really harsh, small town environment that doesn't have a whole lot. So they certainly aren't going to have heaps of coin just laying around to pay you. And right. the tundra is really quite dangerous. So for level two, level three characters, probably shouldn't be venturing too much out there yet. Yet. Shouldn't be no assaulting any fortresses. Yeah. Like that. No hint at all. <laughs> well, don't go to the spine of the world. You'd have to find yeah. said fortress first, but it's in the mountains. No problem. Sure. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> Hundreds of miles of mountains. <laughs> so, anyways, I, I think that got us through the session. Where was there anything or any points during that session that you guys thought were just super cool role playing moments? Yeah, uh, one thing I wanted to touch on was uh, something that Lindell does, and I think this it, it's something that's that he's done multiple times. That is just a great way of showing his character's personality. So Lindell will always try to bargain when money's involved. So <laughs> in this session, when the guards showed up at town hall, almost immediately Lindell starts making a case that we should get a reward and be compensated for taking out these character that that like were ransacking the town hall i think yeah we end up getting some small reward from that too so like he's always looking out for he gave us like dude, we got a hundred gold oh really oh so i mean yeah <laughs> i was thinking 50 for some reason which but that's yeah great. that yes and hey i mean it's only deserved i mean i'm not <laughs> trying to like it's it's not amoral i'm not trying to steal from people and oh no i'm i'm extremely charismatic i have a i have a silver tongue and yes yeah. and it, and that's just, why i love that you do this because trying to use you know, my skills if, if someone's offering us money for a quest or a job or whatever you're always trying to talk them up and use that char charisma to 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 get some more money out of them and i think the attitude that it's well deserved is very lindell uh, a Lindo quality of like, yeah, we we're we're awesome. Like we we deserve this money. <laughs> so it, it's helping me, yeah, get get a good feel for for Lindo as a as a character, that kind of stuff. 
it's re- very interesting that in this, you're not the only person that's mentioned this swift-talking Lindell characteristic, and it is not something that I picked up on. I just like, oh, it's just Jason being Jason, right? I didn't really pick up on it. <laughs> but the rest of the players started picking up on that on the table, and so <clears throat> that's definitely one of those role-playing quirks that's really coming to be and kind of embody this character. And those are the kind of things that I, I think are so important with the, and makes a role-playing game so much different than, hey, we're sitting down with a board game or something, you know, let's play Descent or Gloomhaven. And are you really embodying those characters and those character quirks? Sure, maybe some people do, but that's really what makes D&D stand out for me. Did anybody like else have... <laughs> Lindo, Lindo likes like money. money. Yeah. <laughs> anybody else have any yeah special moments cool moments this session? i had i had a few things that i wanted to comment on and like i could have made yeah well first i just want to say that puzzle like when you dropped that on the table like that wasn't quite as cool as when you dropped that fully 3d printed painted dungeon <laughs> on the table but it was really close to that and it was a complete surprise and it was awesome. Um, and I had actually noted to ask you that, like, was that part of the campaign book or not? So, like, extra props to you, Ben, for going out and, like, finding that and kind of spicing up, you know, whatever, you know, it was from what the book actually had. I thought that was super awesome. I thought it was a super neat end to... To, or you know close to end of the night and like we the session went a little bit later than we had kind of in, in um anticipated and talked about but like that made it awesome and i mean i i didn't care anyways that we went a little late whatever it's saturday night but it just made it like super worthwhile and i thought it was really cool as far as um you know, how we started out so roughly on on that and kind of everybody talking at once. Yeah, I think if it would have been six of us there, it we we might have failed. How how much how long is that timer? I don't know. Okay. Actually I do know, um, but I'm not revealing that information. Oh man. It's just gonna be like that. Okay. Um like yeah, we I think we would have had more trouble with that and mm. But like, I don't know, maybe for a future puzzle, like if something like that pops up, we have to like, just have somebody that we recognize as like, you're the moderator and like Mm. you call on people to speak their mind on like, we should do this approach or we should do this approach. Like as a, like maybe that would feel like it would go slower uh to to solve but it might actually end up faster just an idea i like literally just had interesting that might help it go smoother i don't know i also wanted to mention like one of the the night finished and like i i was driving home with with uh sean the swifty player and like just thinking back like we did a lot of stuff in that session it felt like it was jam packed of stuff and it wasn't ever really stalled feeling or like we 
took too long to deliberate. And I just kind of wondered, like, could it, and, and I mean, I'm not like knocking on players that weren't there at whatsoever. Like I just, by virtue of there being fewer of us there, did we just come to decisions quicker potentially? Or is it maybe that we were just, uh, I, my note says aggressive, but not aggressive, but just like decisive. And like I, I felt like, like I might've been more decisive at a couple points. Um, and I'm going to allude to that in some of the game learning points. But like when I was just like, I'm going to kick down this door, like, and when drop kicked it, it's like, let's bust in here. Let's get this party started and, and, and fight these, these evil doers. Like, so maybe, maybe that was why, but I thought it was cool. Like it felt, it was, it was awesome that there was so many events that went on during it. And I also just realized this, like in the last couple minutes. And I thought this, this is a cool point to mention is like the contrast between our two main spellcasters between like Swifty and his personality and approach and Deacon and his per personality and approach and like Swifty where he's like footsteps in the snow web and fireball. And like, and like Deacon's like, I want to walk up there and just chill by there a little bit and see what's going on. Like, and like, that's been like pretty much the case as well in previous battles, like where like with, with Deacon, Brian, you've been like, super cautious and like and, and just like waiting to see what happens and stuff and like swifty's like bull in a china shop a little <laughs> bit and and like just like hey here's this joke and it, it's just it's such a cool contrast <laughs> between yeah. you guys i think it's it it makes it really neat i think they both play very well to their backstories which mm -hmm. haven't really fully which, been brought to the table yep. yet mm. yep yep so yeah i think brian's is starting to come out but swifties much like lindell's like lindell's had some stuff come out right because you had that immediate tie-in to because I used to, the to Mer run with Torga. yeah, Torga's band, mm -hmm. which was a nice, nice way to tie that to a plot hook for uh, an adventure. Mm -hmm. Maybe mm -hmm. like I thought about that when I was doing it, uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but uh, Swifty's time is coming. He's I I've got some. He's one of the last characters that I have not done anything for in the background um perspective so he's got some interesting things that are coming his way which will um i think play well to to some of his character motivations and his background i wanted to comment too about the kind of speed thing you're talking about with this last session and or our decisiveness and i think maybe yeah it might be due some to we had uh, you know two players fewer than we normally would but i also think that like uh you know people are getting comfortable in their skins yeah. and the skins of their yeah. characters and mm -hmm. like under and like being comfortable with what their character would do and and making those decisions even if that means that like you do something that isn't optimal like that's doesn't matter now that's like what my character mm -hmm. do i would kick down that door right and then also i think the other side of just we're getting more comfortable 
socially as a group playing the game together sure. and and you know just just it flows more naturally we're we're okay yep. we we kind of trust each other and understand you know can expect what the other people might do like as other characters and as players i can kind of expect how ian rose or matt might behave or deacon might behave or swifty might behave so we we kind of are, are building that just natural social kind of camaraderie at the same time so i think that might be part of it too and learning how your characters work the rules for your characters uh, or developing rules, yeah. developing trust in the DM isn't just there to rail to railroad you into your character's deaths. Um, so you have to like, <laughs> yeah. you know, counteract that. Like, there's a lot of factors that make a session move faster. Certainly, less players becomes a factor, but you guys were far more decisive too. It was, um, and I and I wonder too. Like, we start you guys every time we start a session, um, and we're gonna I'm diving into the game learning points now here. But every time we dive into a session, I start the session with, hey, I watched you guys play the previous session or somebody brought up something that they asked for maybe some help and I, and I thought it was great to share with the entire group. And in this case, from the previous episode of Tales of the Cold North, Justin had brought up about, you know, maybe some suggestions about ha- handling debates and next steps. And I had thought about it for a little bit, and I came back with a recommendation that when you're debating your next steps, try doing this and envisioning what you're doing as your character. Just Then it just flows right into the game. If you're debating about what your positioning is going to be when you're setting up an ambush, then you're sitting there debating it in character, thinking about it as your character. Don't necessarily take it as you're fully optimizing that. And you guys just buy into it. When I give you those tips like that, you just buy into it. And I think that was a I don't know if that was a factor, but you guys bought into it that session and and totally drove it from the diving into doors to all the various things, the caution that Deacon put, the rash, Swift. Well, Swifty got his nickname for a reason. (laughs) You know, webs and just letting loose. You know, that's going to be the death of him at some point, I'm sure. But <laughs> hopefully, he will get up in an ogre's face. I mean, that's that's what he, he he's banked a lot on that uh, hypnotized ability of his. But uh, he did it. I, he, I mean, he did it again this session, didn't he? He hypnotized. Yeah, he did. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the dirties, he was a so. little. He was he got got stuck in a corner. I think in that case, yeah. but it was a tight yeah. room. There was a lot of combatants in a fairly. It was a large room, but not, you know, when you have six player characters and five enemy combat combatants, that's, that's a lot of figures for like a, I don't know, whatever, 30 by 30 room, or maybe it was a little bit bigger than that. Yeah, I think kind of, well, it came up when we were discussing a bit before this session, kind of in hindsight, when we were talking about the puzzle, I think kind of all of us in that case, like there was a puzzle in front of us and we all just kind of dove in into, you know, solving it. And perhaps, like, approaching that more as, you know, in your character mind or whatever, like, how would they go about it? How would they think about it? I think that was kind of, like, I definitely kind of over, that was an oversight when the puzzle was put in front of us in my mind. Like, I guess I didn't really approach it as my character or whatever. I'm like, oh, puzzle, solve it. (laughs) Yeah, 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 that's true, yeah. I I was so excited to see a puzzle. Definitely didn't think about what Koth would do with the puzzle. <laughs> so I was like, oh man, oh, this is great. I would, I love puzzles. I, mm-hmm. It's like one of my favorite 
like things in like D and D and and True Dungeon was mentioned too. Yeah, good good point of yeah, what would your character actually do? And I think you know there should be some flexibility to be able to do stuff like that out of character, but definitely would yeah, a little. be more fun, you know, to to try to incorporate it, how your character would behave. And yeah, that's 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 great. So Sean isn't here with us, but Sean, contrary to Swifty, actually, like, he doesn't like doing puzzles. <laughs> and, like, I think that he just kind of stood back and let us handle it. I think that that's how that went down. I'm not sure. but He's A little bit. He seemed to get frustrated pretty quick, which is basically what happens to me that's... when we do True Dungeon. That's Sean, <laughs> that's Sean with puzzles as well. So that's, like, contrary to Swifty, actually, like. But anyway, it's just <laughs> yeah, you, you know, you don't always want to play the the character that is how you are as a person. So mm-hmm. um, you, you mentioned this idea earlier of having like a moderator in situations like these. Like, I like that idea of, of at least having a plan to kind of manage when, when a situation like that comes up, something like you know, where you the, do the thing where you pass a, a stick around and whoever has the stick can, can do the talking or something. So if it's, if it's something where we want everyone to have input, do something like that. Yeah. I think it would uh, help solve this too many cooks in the kitchen. I think as Brian put it, uh, when everyone tries to jump into the puzzle solution immediately. Yeah. I was wondering if some of that would like flush out, as our group gets more comfortable or like players character roles in the group kind of kind of start to stand out more for different whatever areas and stuff like that it might kind of naturally come about but it's definitely sure. something to think about like i'm pretty new to role playing like even when i played dnd ages ago i don't think i thought about it from that angle as much mm-hmm. now so like every single session like after we do it, like in hindsight, I'm like, dang, I could have approached this, you know, a little more deeply from a character perspective kind of thing. And it's like a learning thing every time. And it's just hard to keep that mindful when you're put in new situations and yeah. every adventure. The easiest thing, and I think one of the things I shared with all of you guys right away at the beginning, back on like our session zero, was the easiest thing to try to embody things in your characters is to go look at yeah and embody you know some of your favorite pop culture characteristics into your characters right if you can think of a movie character that embodies your character well it's really easy to do things that that movie character does who cares if you're ripping it off it's it's that everybody else is gonna see that and they'll probably laugh a little about it or joke about it at the table it's the perfect thing to do so um, and it's and it's coming out, and everybody's characters are starting to really come out. You know, where that first session, you're like, okay, well, I really know who Koth and Rika are. Now I've I've got a much better feeling about who every character is. Yeah, Brian, I feel the same way. Like new role player as well. Like I haven't. I mean, Ben, I played a couple games worth of a campaign with you like 15 years ago or something like that. It just didn't get off the ground or go anywhere. And then before that, I think when I was like a preteen, I DM'd like first or it was like the thing before advanced D&D. So like the class was like a dwarf or an elf. Like there wasn't even like the, the, the concept of like races and classes like 
so it was like old D and I don't even have much memory of that. So like, I, I feel the same, like about how in hindsight, you know, you realize like, oh, I could have done that better or wrote, like acted like the character better, but Ben's tips at the beginning of each session are helping out for sure. I think one thing to do for that too, is when you're playing, like, I find it helpful when other people talk about what their character is going to do and why they're doing it from their character's perspective. So like sharing that information as you're playing and saying like, you know, out loud saying like, I think Koth doesn't want to try to figure out this puzzle because it just seems like nonsense to him or like, Koth is frustrated because he has to sneak and is terrible at it and he thinks sneaking is like lying, you know, <laughs> something like that. Uh, like saying, like, like taking that time to be like, this is what my character thinks about this and communicating that to everybody. Like, it's cool if it's going on in your head, but to get it out there and say, and or even to like pose the question to yourself out loud, like, I think Koth would, and then come up with the answer. Like sharing that information is super great because not only are you doing the role playing thing for yourself, everybody else gets to hear that thought process. And like in in previous episodes, Matt has talked about things that were going through his head when we were playing as a character. Like he was thinking about how his character felt about stuff and how he was thinking about it. That I he didn't I felt he didn't communicate or I didn't pick up on during an actual session and then to hear him say like this is what he was thinking I was like oh like I got insight into his character and uh, and why he did certain stuff and so like just being more open about that thought process and saying this is what my character's thinking or or posing that question I think is a is a good way to handle that too it's communicating with everybody Sure. When you can take that thought process and rather than just say it as thoughts, like I think my character would X and you're able to ting, turn it into not only actions, but how you verbalize what your character is saying. I think that makes it even more powerful. And if you look at like. Yeah, there's a couple tiers there to get through. It's 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 what what would my like I think my character would do this to like my character would do this and then the sort of third tier of like going further and like events and like verbalizing it in a characterful way absolutely but i think there's tiers that you got to kind of step through as a new player to fully actualize your your character right and there isn't a right or wrong way to do it it's it's as long as you're having fun and everybody's getting an idea of who your character is. Yeah. What's the matter? Right. It's at the end of the day, that's, that's the ideas we're having fun at the table. So I think that got through all of our tips and tricks and, and we recapped what happened in session five. So that's a wrap. I think we're good to go until next time, folks. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you leave a review of this show, wherever your favorite place is to find podcasts. Oh, and by the way, give us a like on our Facebook page. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Pinterest while you're at it. If you haven't looked recently, make sure you catch up on the blog at wiscodice.com. Hey, Brian, what's that site? Ah, oh, darn. I forget. Uh, Justin, what's our website again? Wiscodice.com. That's right. It's wiscodice.com. And until next time, everyone, peace out.